Upon rare occasion in my life, I have met a person who caretakes great discernment in the seasons of his life, of her life, of their life. And it is a wonder, a joy, a blessing, and a great lesson to be beside them as they walk the path of their days. They are receiving guidance through grace to be aspiring toward the destiny of a true path and to caretake in careful shepherding the sanctuary of the safe passage of their life through that path. This for me is always present in the seasons of our lives. <clears throat> when we are born, we are placed in the hands of those around us who shape us and form us. <clears throat> All too often in the modern world, I hear stories of the inadequacy of that formation. My mother didn't do this, my father wasn't there, or he was so busy at work and was neglectful. But then because he was, I was able to have all these fine things or a great education. <clears throat> so there's a perplexity in the argument that no matter who raises us, it's somehow never enough for what we're grasping at. And that grasping is not really our path. A great deal of the modern human being is insufferably unhappy because there's an idea of possessing some structure that will render us being answered about what we want <clears throat> or to help us avoid what we fear. And Buddhism is a great pathway for some of those lessons to those obstacles. Each religion has its wonderful language for particular um, intimacies of relationship to heaven on earth. If we have a faith tradition, <clears throat> which is part of the seasons of our life, it helps us walk through all of life from conception and birth to death, following a certain language. I add to this that nuances of other religions and cultures often bring blessings of wisdom as if they were the aunts and uncles and the cousins of our pathway. So I again refer to Buddhism as one cup which can empty us out and fill us up with not resisting our human nature, not being upset by the clinging and the aversion we experience, but rather finding our way through this. So I'll, I'll go into this <clears throat> Buddhist application in the next couple of segments, but I want us to begin with the idea of seasons. Who are you? How were you born? Into what family or lack of family? Into what neighborhood? What area, what region of the world? What culture? What aspect of language, not only in what is thought and spoken, but the cuisine, the manner of dress, the manner of livelihood, the toys, the temperament, the aspirations, the qualities of what is not permitted. 
So according to where we're born, we are taught the seasons of survival. And I want us to begin with this. If we live in very far northern or southern terrains, the weather can be extreme. And one of our first lessons as a very tiny child is to be present safely within the domain of the deep winter. <clears throat> I was raised in this way as a very little girl, and I was raised this way by Eskimo mentors in my, in my uh, early adult years. Weather could be so bitterly cold that a human being could freeze to death within a matter of hours. So as a very little girl, <clears throat> my first memory of going outside in the winter was of being bundled up in my little snowsuit and taken out the front door with my father, who was going to shovel the front steps down onto the sidewalk. I've told this story many times in teaching. <clears throat> my parents brought me forward in great joy that day, very carefully. But they also were letting me know the nature of the deep winter weather where I was raised. I had ice skates from the time I could walk. My father's ancestors on his father's side of the family are from the Frisian Islands in the Netherlands. So my great-grandfather, Erie, came to the United States with a small trunk of possessions, which included a very beautiful pair of ice skates, which affixed to his shoes or boots. The capacity of winter is a very strong experience, but one is taught to survive the winter with great discernment. So <clears throat> as a young adult, when I lived for an autumn hunt season with Yupik Eskimo families in Togiak, Alaska, we went on the autumn fishing trip with an enormous boat of fish we carried back from Lake Togiak down uh, down the river, the Togiak River, across Bristol Bay, and into the village where they were, the, the fish were filleted and dried and smoked. <clears throat> there was enough beautiful smoked salmon at the height of this season for the Nick family to survive the winter. What does one do when it's very bitterly cold, 60 below zero, wind blowing in off the Bering Sea? One has the dried fish or the smoked fish. <clears throat> what happens if one does not have this? Well, it could range from hunger to deep hunger to a lack of survival. So <clears throat> in such a northern climate, survival is a very strong lesson. The same is true in the deep deserts of the world. Blaine, with whom I've worked for 36 years, was raised in the desert of Southern California, an incredibly beautiful place, yet dry. And in the summer, reaching temperatures up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. How does one live in the desert? Well, there's a necessity for water. There's a necessity for observation of the sun and the heat of the day and the effects upon one's body. So a very similar discernment is necessary for the desert human being. Is that necessary for the tundra human being? And what I find in the modern human being throughout most of the temperate areas of our world 
is we've become unaware of our relationship to survival. And we have transferred that attention, which is tribal and primordial in the human body, to the idea of a sort of modern comfort. And we've urbanized our idea of survival. So I will talk with a young person and the power will go out. And they'll say, it's really hot. What am I going to do? There's no air conditioning. What happens if the food in the refrigerator is spoiled? What will I have to eat tomorrow? And they literally don't know how to survive in nature. They know how to survive in the mind and ego of the modern translation of our temperate world. If they were dropped in the high tundras of the north or the Antarctic, or they were dropped in the deserts of the world from the Sonoran and the Anza Borrego to the Sahara and the Gobi, they would be in a shock of survival. Who am I? What shall I do in this harsh winter or summer season? And so when we are conceived and born, every single one of us is placed in the body of the human beings upon the earth who are to guide us in that discernment. All too often we tell a story of whether it was wonderful or horrible, how much we received from that. I had a great childhood. It was like this, this comfortable. I had a terrible childhood. It was like this, this uncomfortable. And I find that a more neutral viewpoint as we regard recapitulating ourselves to gratitude for the conception and birth we have is very helpful. If I use my, my companion, my spouse John, and his father, John will often talk of the way in which his father raised him, not as his friend, but to show him how. My father always showed me how I was to build and make my life so that he could survive anything. His father walked beside him in virtue, in virtue. Today we will go to feed the cattle. The first lesson of every day with them is do they have clean water? Are they well? Do they need attention? Now we feed them. Quietly, often without words, they would ride out in a truck and back. They might have had their own food and water before going or after. And so imprinted on the interior aspect of John's heart and soul is the virtue of survival, the discernment of how to deal with the harsh Texas summer, how to be present in a winter that might be one of a lack of water, a drought, or a presence of strong water, beautiful and green. In the first one, very few cattle, or all of them sold. In the second, a few cattle, new calves in the spring. It wasn't the mood of 
boy, are we rich with three new calves. Boy, are we so poor with no new calves. It was the quality of the neutral love for life, receiving grace. I am so blessed to have my breath moving into my cells on this day, every day, in the seasons of my life, from conception and birth through my childhood. Second, I would like us to take that gratitude to the seasons of the year. And we'll move through this as our first lesson, and then we'll practice this until we go into the second one in the next class. What are the seasons of our year? And how do they move through us in this neutral, grateful manner? Oh, winter. No matter where you live on the face of the earth, winter will have a certain resonance for you, where you are resonating with the mood of the weather, the nature of the land, the earth, during that season, the sky, the mood of rainfall or dryness, clouds, blue sky, foggy sky, stormy days, temperate days. What is the mood of the primal tribal human being you are in this place upon which you dwell on this earth? It may be the place where you're conceived and born, or you may live in a different climate base or region or nation or continent from that <clears throat> in which you were born. If so, it's something different to learn when you move to a different region. You don't organically hold in you the same tribal understanding that was placed in you and transmitted into you by your relatives, your kin, and the people around you in the early months and years of your life. So be aware in your breathing, in the heart chakra, in the center of the chest, in the cells of your body, how much at ease you are upon the earth in the winter season. Winter is a time of internal rest, and introspection, preparation for the coming year. In the very far northern and southern tribes, there are beautiful crafts expressed during this time, carving of walrus tusk and uh, wood, making of masts and the sewing of various kinds of fiber and fur and feathers and grasses into clothing and baskets mukluks or boots, beating on beautiful gloves. People would be present telling stories, preparing ideas of raising children to understand the tasks at hand through the stories of fishing and craft work to build a home, to build a life. This is to be done in this season. This is to be done when you're 12. This is what you will do when you're a man or a woman. 
This is what you are to be and to do and become as an elder. For the sake of the whole village and one's family and oneself. Every season of life, all the years of one's life, no matter how blessed we are in the longevity of that life. So from that winter season, so deep and internal, it's not about the richness of protecting ourselves completely from the earth and one another during the winter. It's more being able to protect and define ourselves to survive in balance. Enough food and shelter and clothing and comfort to sustain ourselves through the winter in a harmonic with Mother Earth and Father Sky. What does that feel like? Rather than a possession of the Earth, <clears throat> of using wealth as a weapon, let go of any aspect of oneself in one's mind, soul, heart, or body that uses wealth as a weapon against the Earth herself against oneself and other human beings. With gratitude in the heart and soul, allow the wealth and poverty of your life on a material plane on the earth to come into a harmony with grace from heaven. What is my path? What, in the beautiful phrase from Islam, what is my portion from heaven through this earth? so that it sings through the cells of my body from the winter into the spring and the summer and autumn of this year and of every season of my life. Through the longevity of all of my years that I am blessed to have. We move into springtime, new life, buds upon the plants, whether we're in the southern or northern hemisphere, Whatever climate we're in, there will be some kind of plant blooming in the depths of the desert, the heights of the mountains, the cracks in sidewalks in the city, the parks, the gardens, everywhere. Here comes a bud into a new leaf, a bud into a, a flowering blossom to become a fruit, a tree, a bush, a grass. Be aware in the heart and soul and breath that as springtime comes, that energy quickens in our own bodies. It becomes aspiration. We are moving forward into a ripening season within ourselves, beside the tree of life, part of the tree of life in a cosmic domain, ourselves. What is the pure, elegant, humble, dignified, real expression of this in our hearts and souls and lives? So transparently truthful that it causes no harm to any other human being, nor to ourselves. In this is our signature. Ah, it is so good to see you this spring day. It is so good to be with you within myself this spring day. 
When we live in that transparency of the springtime breezes of God, we are content and we know who the other person is. I know you. I know where God is in you. We can feel this in one another. Beyond all warfare, here we are. What shall we do in this springtime season of this year and in this springtime season of our lives? From infancy, of birth, through the times of old age. Ah, here we are together, a blossoming garden of heaven in the springtime. In your heart and soul, let yourself contemplate this. What are the ways in which the gifts of springtime bless you, teach you, fulfill you, inspire you? What are the ways in which the gifts of springtime challenge you to go beyond laziness or a sort of solidity of cynicism or despair or neglect and just being unwilling to participate? Oh, my will is restored to being vital again. I need to be alive here beside all the other beings present on the earth this springtime moment. I need to bring all the parts of myself that have become desolate or conflicted or without virtue. I need to bring them back to virtue, yoke them like a yoga into God and find my way in the present moment of springtime forward. Ah, here is my path. Then summer. How do I address the movement into the fullness of summer? Plants ripening, fruits on the vine, no matter where we are upon the earth. People tending the different craft work at hand so that we are prepared in that height of midsummer for the whole coming year. Many people who weave or quilt or work with wood, or build homes, or bookshelves, or write, find that through the summer months they are very open and active, sawing boards, tying up grapevines, and <clears throat> making sure that they're going to be harvested before they become too ripe. The quality of attending to the timing of the fullness of our lives. Summer is a great time for us to look deeply at our purpose and our mature, responsible commitment to our pathway. Am I on my path? Am I truly disciplined in the discernment I need to be mature, to be full-hearted and responsible in my love for my life, in my love for your life and your path, equal in dignity to my own. What does this feel like to live in that open-hearted, mature commitment? Ah, this is the mood of deep summer in the place upon which I dwell on this earth. And then we move into autumn, which is such a bittersweet time. 
We are beginning to turn within again toward the winter. We feel ourselves falling away from the ripeness of the midsummer flowers as the petals fall and all the flowers turn to the fruits of autumn. Ah, it is an older time. The pumpkins are ripe or the squash or the apples or the fruits of our nation, mangoes, papayas, coconut, various grasses and ferns. We might find that we prepare ferns with a piece of fish or with other vegetables and nuts. And then we find in a cold climate, one night the frost has come and the ferns turn brown overnight. Or we are in a very warm climate and we realize that even though there's not much difference between the summer and winter temperature, the mood is very different. The subtlety in the color of the plants, the type of clouds moving across the sky. People of the tropics and of the deserts often go through this great subtlety of the seasons. In sophisticated senses of meditation, contemplation, inner retreats, and looking for deep wisdom and harmonious care for all peoples, those hot and warm climates of the central parts of our world are very significant. Much wisdom has arisen from these cultures of our world that is quite universal. One turns to see flowers blooming, the Ocotillo blooms in the California desert. There they are, echoing across the dry hills. If you're not from the area, you might think, I don't really see anything. And then a person of the desert notes, look at the deep orange blossoms way up high in those dry arroyos. See them at the tops of the Ocotillo plants. Those are the flowers. And someone may gather the fruits of cactus in the autumn to make jam or to have them dried and placed beside the corn of the Southwest tribal peoples of the United States. Oh, in the winter, we shall have this dried corn and we shall also have these fruits, which we will pound and break into the corn to give flavor. <clears throat> What's also present in these is the vitamin content, the passing on of how to gather so that a grandmother might walk out with her little granddaughter or grandson at a certain time in the autumn. This is the time of the ripening cactus fruit. Martha Neck walked with me on mornings like this to pick berries and grasses in the tundra of Alaska. A very specific time, maybe 10 days long in the late summer when certain items were ripe and would not be for another year and would provide some of the only vitamin content of a specific nature for her people. No matter how sophisticated you are in your life, the autumn fruits of the earth will always teach you the direction of your path.
Please find a way in your heart and soul, your mind and selves, to be present on the land as you let go of the arrogance and the anxiety of inadequate sophistication when it is not transparently humble before the dignity and the mortality of who you are as a human being. When you open to this, you will find beauty in your path and you will find in your heart and soul the ability to love every other human being, all sentient beings, and all creation through the autumn season of your life, back into the winter season, the springtime of every new breath, and the summertime of the beautiful ripening of the fields of the Lord upon this earth.